Welcome to Language During Mealtime. Certified speech-language pathologist and children's book author Becca Eisenberg brings you creative professionals from the language learning and children's education field. With these ideas, parents can help their children with special needs improve language and reading abilities. Hi, my name is Becca Eisenberg. Welcome to my podcast, Language During Mealtime, episode number 47. Today, I'll be interviewing author Todd Tuell. In addition to being a frequent contributor to children's magazines, such as Faces Magazine for Kids, Todd is the picture book author of Ninja Ninja Never Stop by Abrams Appleseed. He is a freelance writer for newspapers and magazines and literacy and parenting blogs. His favorite writing is for children and young adults. Along with writing for kids, he loves teaching at writers and educators conferences and as an instructor of children's literature at the University of Denver's University College. Todd is a literacy advocate and strongly believes that literacy skills in children can be improved by simultaneously incorporating physical motion and as many senses as possible. He is available for school visits, library literacy and summer programs, and writing and education conferences. Um, And I always like to mention the website so people can refer back to it in the beginning, toddtowell.com. So thank you so much for being here today, Todd. Well, thank you for having me. I'm I'm really excited to talk with you today. Yeah, I'm really excited. I think that, you know, you have such a unique perspective um, and a lot of really valuable information for any of the listeners, listeners out there. So the first thing I wanted to ask you was just if you could talk a little bit about your book, Ninja Ninja Never Stop, and, you know, when it's being released and um, just kind of the synopsis of it. Well, Ninja Ninja Never Stop is a, is a story of a typical sibling rivalry conflict. And in its resolution of that conflict, um, you know, there's the discovery that working and playing and uh, together is it, it brings more fun for everybody. Uh, it invites ma- imaginative play through some simple fun verse. Um, the rhythm, the rhyme, the cadence, it, it kind of brings together a connection of multiple senses. So not only um, what they see in the pictures and what they're hearing you read to them if they're young readers, uh, but it also lends to that sense of motion. And this is really important part of early literacy development to connect as many of those senses together at once. Um, it also encourages the audience to not necessarily just sit still and listen, which is kind of what you imagine when you're at the library with your kid during story time, they're like, sit still, sit still, listen. And this really encourages kids to get up and to play and to connect with the story through their own motion and through their own imagination. Something as simple um, as hopping and chopping, which you'll see in, in the story, in the simple rhyme that it encourages the movement of a child to, you know, for instance, cross that midline of their body with a chop. Um, you know, and this is so beneficial to the brain development of a kid. So I'm, I'm really happy um, about the book. It comes out March 3rd. It's the board book version of a previously released um, um, story. Uh, and so I'm really excited that it's going to reach a, a much younger audience this time. Yeah, I mean, as you're talking, I could just see, you know, my son just like doing all these movements with the book. 
And I think that's fun because I, I think one of the things that what you were saying about, um, you know, kind of you always think about reading aloud being a very quiet time, being very sitting. But what kids, you know, when they do certain movements, a lot of times they could connect some of the literacy with the movements and it just gets the whole body involved. And um, and the other thing that I also want to tell, because parents, you know, may not have the book in front of them but also just the vocabulary in the book. I mean, it's for young kids, but there's a lot of vocabulary in here that I think would be really, really kind of interesting to talk about. Um, So that's another thing because, you know, kids learn so much vocabulary just from, um, just from, you know, reading a book and, and hearing it read aloud. So like even the ones like even, I'm just going to read it right here, like ninja spy, ninja sneak. So what does that mean to sneak? You know, um, that's something that I would work on with, like, let's just say if I'm reading this book aloud, you know, sneaking is an is an action. But what does that mean? Like, how do we sneak around and um, what does it mean to spy, you know, and just kind of using other vocabulary words to describe ninja jump, ninja crawl. Um, and these are all different things that kids could kind of get involved with and, and be able to kind of role play with a ninja. And I don't know any little kid that doesn't want to be a ninja. Oh, no, (laughs) that's like, I mean, my kids were ninjas for probably like five years in a row for Halloween. Um, It's just a fun, it's a fun character. And it's, it's funny that you bring up, you know, those word choices and how you can connect and ask your kids more as you're reading. Um, When I do a school visit, there's a, there's a, a part of the text that describes ninja charge. And I, I always stop right there. And I talk to the kids about what does the word charge mean? And it's funny because so many times littlest kids will be like, um, like charge your phone, plug it in. Yeah. <laughs> and so then we talk a little bit more about, okay, so the word choice, it can mean to so somebody will come up with it and I'll say it means run. And I ask them, okay, what are the reasons why I, as the author chose charge instead of run? And of course, they come up with because of the rhyme that I wanted to rhyme, but we go deeper and say that, okay, word can have a lot more meaning. Run can be kind of generic. It can be slow. It can be more like a jog, but charge has a lot of meaning, meaning behind it that you're running towards something with a purpose. And so we talk about the writing process so often when I go into a school visit and, and how words can have so much significance. Exactly. Exactly. So the next thing I wanted to ask you, just as your background as a literacy advocate, maybe could you talk about that a little bit about how, you know, what you've done in the past and what you currently do and what you plan for the future as far as, um, you know, just being an advocate for literacy for children? Sure. Um, I'm a former elementary school teacher in some Title I schools here in the Denver area. And As I first became a teacher, I saw many of the students that struggle in ways that my own kids who were being raised in suburbia weren't weren't struggling. And our team um, that I worked with for for these students uh, in the literacy perspective, we were really focused on strategies for culturally and linguistically diverse learners. for a long time as well, I I developed and, and maintained a blog about brain development and the importance of literacy activities to promote uh, cross-brain cross uh, connections. Um, you know, they a lot of the studies point towards, um, you know, girls' brains developing earlier than boys and just things that were completely unheard of to me that I, I just had no idea. And that the literacy gap 
between boys and girls is growing and growing exponentially. And it's just incredible studies that are going on. But how important that development early when they're young um, for these connections across the, their brain that it brings about not only cognitive development benefits, but also social development. So you can see the significance in development of skills in young kids, um, such as empathy and conflict resolution. And they can tie this back to, you know, that cross brain and how important um, literacy is in that early brain development. So um, these understandings have led to not only how I think about my own writing, but also to the programming of events that um, that I help bring to other writers as the former leader of a, a local chapter of the Society of Children's book writers and illustrators. It's an organization that brings resources and connections and conferences and those kind of things that uh, brings editors and agents to the local writers so they you know, can learn and develop their skills and create for children and, teen- and teenagers, excuse me. <clears throat> that's so interesting because I feel like that's, that's one of the things I love about a podcast, about talking about you know, just your background. So when you're writing a book, you know, you have all this information in your head and it's, you know, you're really incorporating all of these things that you know and that you learn and that are going to help kids into like, let's say this picture book, um, Ninja Ninja Never Stop. And so just to kind of take some of the knowledge that you know, as far as, um, you know, all the research, and I know that you are also professoring, you teach classes, you know, what are some tips that parents could do um, to kind of to help their kids, you know, in reading aloud, Be, you know, and you mentioned the movement, but is there any is there any other tips or if you want to expand on that? Well, some of these are going to seem very simple and intuitive, but they also, you know, they should always, you know, it's a good thing to be reminded of them. And the first would be that you should begin reading as early as possible to your children, you know, even before birth. You know, there's a connection that can be built between the two of you just through your voice. Um, also, I would say to read as much and as often as you can. You bring that kid, your kid up into your lap as you read because that physical contact, first of all, it gives that child confidence and assurance of their own value in your relationship with them. But also it presents, you know, the value to this child of, of books, of reading, of literacy, and that shared time that you are uh, demonstrating uh, as you're holding them reading. Um, something that I read was that in geometry, in nature, in construction, that the triangle is considered the strongest shape. And I discovered with my own kids when they were very young, how true this is in a relational manner as well. So an incredible bond is, is built between you and your kid and this shared activity, in this case, reading, and the importance of it in their later years. Um, Another tip would be to let your kid drive the reading activity. Uh, encourage them to choose a wide variety of books, not only when you're sitting at home you know, from their shelf, but when you go to the library, just you know, be prepared, bring a couple of big bags and just fill them up or the bookstore, wherever you're going. Just let them drive that and let their curiosity and their um, imagination just really drive your, your reading activity. Yeah, you know, I I can't agree with that more because I think, you know, motivation, not even just with literacy, but just with like, you know, when I'm working with all different ages of kids um, and adults. But, you know, motivation is so key because when we think about the books that we want to read, we don't have anyone just sort of choose it for us. We go about and we look at different books and what we might be interested 
in. And just kind of the other side note too, just because, you know, I've written um, picture books is that a lot of times, you know, parents think that, you know, if their older child wants to read a picture book, oh, well, they're just too old for that. And, you know, I don't know. I, I kind of believe that we're never too old for picture books. Sure. Um, because I think that even if you're writing a book for a very young child, there are so many wonderful things that an older child can learn from a picture book, um, whether it's vocabulary, whether it's even meeting with the author and discussing about, you know, what it was kind of like for them to, to write the book and the process that goes into it. I know a lot of, you know, cause my kids are, you know, almost in their teenage years and that's one of the things that a lot of their, their kids are interested in. I mean, their friends are interested in is just sort of asking what's the process in publishing, or I wrote this story. Could you tell me a little bit about what the process was in writing your story and then the illustration? Actually, that kind of brings me to another question because, you know, with the illustrator, uh, what is it? It's Tad Carpenter. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, how you work with the illustrator in, you know, in creating this book? So that's an interesting question, and it's one that most people coming into this industry have. You know, do I have to find my own illustrator, and what if I don't know anybody? And um, the fact is, in most cases, you will probably never interact with your illustrator if you are the writer. Uh, I I was fortunate, though, that you know, since the real focus and theme of the book was teamwork, that my editor said, "Hey, we're going to all kind of work together." through this. So she introduced me to Tad. He lives, I believe, in Kansas City. And so we would talk Skype or via email and we would just come up with different ideas and he would let me see some of the early sketches and if I had any feedback. And it was it was a really encouraging process, but this isn't the typical. Um, so something interesting is, is that they sent me, you know, his um, original draft of it. And one of the things that I noticed was that the... Uh, um, the ninja had black gloves on throughout the book and it made him look very menacing and kind of scary to kids. And I didn't really want that to be, I wanted his, his antics to be a little bit more playful. So I said, can we remove the gloves? And so that went back and forth and we decided that that was in fact, um, a great thing to do. And, and I talk about that when I go into like a, a school visit and kids ask that same question about the process of writing and, um, you know, editing and revising doesn't just happen with the author and between the author and editor, but in the illustration process as well. You have to be very mindful of what this story is being told through the pictures. And so I think that's a very interesting thing. Um, and it was a, a great experience for me to have that in my first book, working with the, uh, the illustrator in this way. But typically, um, an illustrator and author don't have connections because they don't they want the illustrator to be free to express their own vision without a constraint of the author over them. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so what are, I, I just, I guess I want to know a little bit about other books that you've written because you are a writer and you've, you know, you've written articles and you've written other works. So I, I was just, just wanted to ask you about that. So the majority of my writing is like social studies type curriculum for, um, for kids magazine. So I'll write about geography or cultural, uh, different cultures around the world or food. Uh, one of the most recent ones I wrote was about, uh, a baseball stadium, interesting baseball stadium food around the country. So wow, that's really cool. We were just talking about that last night. I was just talking oh, yeah? about that with my, yeah, my dad. Uh-huh. 
So that was a um, probably one of the more fun ones that I wrote. But a lot of them have these like social connections and and kids at the age that I write for for magazines is nine to fourteen, and they're really developing their sense of this broader world and social injustices. And uh, I've got I've written about. Um, um, in Sierra Leone, where where kids were, you know, ripped uh, out of their homes and turned into these boy soldiers, and they're having to be reintroduced into the, into society once the, the these wars have stopped, and and you know how they they're being you know re after being programmed in the way that they were to be soldiers, how they can actually survive in society or another story about um, the soccer soap operas that are made um, across Africa and Asia and in conflict areas. And, and they make these little episodic stories and travel around and show them like a, a drive-in theater in these small little communities. And it's a lot about conflict, conflict resolution or the specific, um, issue of that area, it, it may be gender inequality or it, it may be um, tribal warfare um, where they would show people from two different tribes playing on the same soccer team and how they resolve conflict in a more constructive way. So it's a lot of interesting and, and amazing stories that I get you know, to help tell that to kids in, in, in a fun and interesting, engaging way. That's but as great. far as books, yeah. yeah. As far as books, um, this is uh, a re-release of an original picture book that I had done in 2014, and now it's being re-released as a board book version. So there was a little bit of a process of reimagining it and and redeveloping it for uh, a slightly different format. But um, I have written probably 60 or 70 other books that are in various stages of trying to get them published. So those so those articles that you've talked about, how would um, how would parents access those articles? Like, what magazines would they be able to look up, or a website that they would be able to read some of those articles you wrote? Because sound they sound really interesting. So Faces Magazine is um, one of the um, one of the magazines owned by the Cricket Group. So most people are most. Are, are most familiar with the cricket magazine that you see in like the dentist office or that you order for your own kids. This is just the age level uh, above that. And it's primarily those social issues, geographic, uh, cultural, historical, those kind of things. Um, you can go to the cricket media group website. I don't have that right here in front of me, but uh, it is one of the, they, they publish probably seven or eight different magazines. And that's the one I primarily write for. That's really interesting because I know that's one of the things, you know, just when you're a parent of older kids, you know, a lot of times, you know, kids are just reading their own books and, you know, a lot of the read alouds, you're not having as many read alouds as maybe when the kids are younger. But I love the idea of reading aloud some of these articles that you're talking about because it could lead to some really interesting conversations about what's going on in the world. Sure. And it's really good for a reluctant reader because, you know, you get to be maybe nine or 10 years old and you're not enjoying reading and somebody sets in front of you a novel that's, you know, 120 to 200 pages long. And you're like, oh, how long is this going to take me? But, you know, you go into um, a nonfiction or even fiction magazine writing and you see that the piece is maybe three pages long. It has some really great um, visuals and graphics with it. Uh, and, and so that's not as intimidating for a kid who may be reluctant or, you know, just not connecting in, in a way that maybe the teachers or parents are hoping, you know, they'll connect with a, with a novel. 
That's great. I mean, because I always read during mealtime and I also feel like an article is another type of reading material that's also good to read when you have a short amount of time. Sure. Because I know, you know, I've read novels to my kids, but, you know, if you're taking, let's say, a big novel and that has to be read over time, but it's nice to kind of change it up and to read an article. And I also love the fact that you take a very complicated topic and you write it in a way for, you know, let's say younger kids to understand. I think that's a talent in itself because, you know, I think a lot of people don't know how to do that. You know, it's too complicated. It's how do I explain it? How do I, you know, how do I communicate that type of information, let's say to a child without maybe scaring them or, you know, being too complicated or using too many words. And so I think that's just a real talent in itself. Um, and and so. Yeah try to do is is to make it accessible to the kid by writing it from a a child's perspective or tell the story of a child in that location. Um, And I do have permission to, uh, from my own website, toddtool.com, that that many of these are posted there. So if a parent would like to read a few of them and get an an idea of what this magazine is like, and if it would be a good fit for their kids um, as a, a subscription base, you can read them from my site and and get a better familiarity with it. Well, I'm going to be doing that tonight. <laughs> so, yeah, because you already got, I'm very interested. Um, You brought up the topic of struggling readers. And I think that's one of the areas I think a lot of parents feel overwhelmed, you know, because let's say their child is going through elementary or even going through some middle school and they're struggling. And, um, you know, a lot of parents ask me, just, you know, how do I get, how do I get my kids to love reading or, you know, what could I do to help facilitate um, them so they feel a little bit more open to, to reading books? So any tips for parents? So this is kind of a tangent, but it, it kind of reminds me of a time when I was an archery leader for my kids 4-H archery club. Um and we had to go through training as the parent leader to be able to, you know, teach the kids how to, you know, use a bow and arrow and and be successful in it. And the the biggest question that most of these parents would have is, is how close do I start the kids? And the instructor to us said, you start them as close as you need for them to be successful, for them to hit the mark. And I think that that is, you know, something that, we see as a balancing act. We want them to continue to develop as readers, but so often it becomes kind of a chore for them because they're so focused on decoding and becoming better readers that the story itself isn't fun and the activity of reading no longer interests them. Um, So one of the things that I would say is when you're facing a, a struggling reader is that you want them to have success and you want them to enjoy that activity. So again, you, you let them drive the activity, you let them choose what they, they want. And my own son, he hated reading at the age of like seven or eight. And the only thing that he would like was like the Guinness book of world records, because, you know, like half of a column long and he could be done, you know, he got his information. He was satisfied with it. And, you know, and me as a parent, I'm like, but he's not reading novels like the the teachers want them, you know, for advancement, you know, from group to group um, in their reading levels. But this is what, this is what engaged him. And I had to just, you know, take a step back 
and allow him to drive his own reading progress and allowed to kind of redefine what reading was and what literature was. And, you know, he would love to read the back of the cereal box. And that was reading. He was developing his coding, decoding skills, and it paid off later. Um, I love that. I, I love what you said. And I love <laughs> your example with archery. And I think just kind of following your child's lead with, you know, what is interesting to them, whether it's the back of the cereal box, you know, my, my son has a huge stack of Guinness Book of World Records He every year. He loves that. It's also very visual. You know, for my daughter, it was graphic novels. You know, she that was like kind of what kind of got her love of reading is just starting to read these graphic novels that she loved. And so, you know, when you kind of pull, I think sometimes, I don't know, for me, at least from my experience, when I pull back and let them decide, they were choosing their own um, way of reading and their own um, different materials that they loved. Well, I would say also that, you know, if you're involved in it and you kind of know what they're reading, that you can bring questions to them, you know, what if questions. So how do how would the story change if this happened in at this point instead? You know, so you're inviting your kid um, to share and create and use their own imaginations and they become a storyteller and then they become invested in that book or or the next book. And, you know, there, there's an engaging element when they can share what they think about it. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree with you. The inferencing and, you know, just, you know, just everything that you're saying is exactly, you know, prediction um, that kind of gets the imagination going because, you know, and also the other thing is that a lot of times people think, well, if you read one book, you don't read it again. But, you know, I always found with repeated readings, sometimes like even with my own kids or if I'm reading a book, let's say for one of my the students that I'm working with, you know, them creating their own ending or just sort of bringing up something that maybe I didn't even think about in the book. Um, so and it's really interesting. I think you gave some really, really great tips for parents. Is there anything that you wanted to um, kind of add before we finish up? Sure. Um, I would like to maybe give an encouraging breakthrough story for any of you who um, who are facing that difficulty of having that reluctant reader in your household. And and I mentioned before that my son Max he was he was that reluctant reader. And uh, there was a moment when I j I was walking by his door, and I had sent him up to his room to you know, clean up and to read a book and just have some quiet time. And I hear him laughing and I open the door and he's sitting there with a book in front of him for the first time that I saw him not being pushed to necessarily read. He kind of had his um, opportunity to choose that. And he had chosen this book uh, by Adam Rex. Um, it's, I believe it's called uh, um, Frankenstein takes the cake and it's just a series of poems and he and I asked him what what he was reading that was making him laugh so much and it was a poem about how Godzilla pooped on his Honda <laughs> and you know it's just total boy stuff and and silliness and it, it engaged him in it and from then on he loved books and it was that breakthrough moment where I could see that you know he was going to be a reader and he was not going to live his life you know, as a reluctant reader throughout. Um, and so that breakthrough moment, it's coming. You just, you know, you have to be patient with your kids. You have to let them drive their, their, um, uh, their journey to, to developing their reading skills and their love for books. Oh, well, thank you so much. I, I, you know what, it's, I really appreciate taking the time today to talk because, you know, I took away a lot of the, the tips that you talked about and just your background. So thank you so much. 
Well, I appreciate you having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening today. Listen and learn with us at Language During Mealtime. Time.